Well, good morning. It's a privilege uh, to be here today. Uh, our family actually left here from Emmanuel Bible Church um, a little over 12 years ago. And at the time when we left, we had our firstborn child and she was two weeks old when we had left and went to Frankenmuth to serve there. And it's amazing how things can change over time. Uh, when our first child was born, I was such an attentive father. Now, every, every cry, every noise, every potential moment of concern, I was there. I was watching, caring, helping my newborn daughter with whatever it is she might need in life. I was always there. In those early days of being a parent, I remember having such a heightened sense of concern, right? Because fatherhood was so new for me, right? And I had this precious little newborn life. And I, I had the task, the responsibility of making sure that I was taking care of her and, and, and keeping her secure and safe. But then, you know, over time, things change. You see, as time passed, we had another baby, and then another, and then another, and another. <laughs> and by the time we got to baby number five, how do I say this? I wasn't quite as attentive as I once was when we first had our newborn. Uh, at that point, I had gotten so comfortable taking care of children that some of the former attentiveness I once had, it started to fade over time. Let me give you an example of this. With our firstborn, if a pacifier had fallen out of her mouth and into the dirt, I would take the pacifier and, and bring it over to the sink and thoroughly, vigorously scrub that pacifier with soap and water, dry it off, and make sure everything was perfect before I put it back in her mouth. When we had her thirdborn, I'd probably pick up the pacifier and, you know, wipe it off on my pants and just <laughs> shove it in his mouth. By the fifth... I mean, I'm probably just putting it in the mouth, right? I mean, dirt's probably good for a kid, uh, helps immunity. In fact, if I'm going to keep it real with you this morning, I wouldn't even pick it up. That's, her, that's on her, right? At this point, she's raising herself. You get, what, you get what I'm saying? It's amazing how things change over time. You see, as a parent, with more experience and time, you grow more relaxed and more comfortable with things. And as a result, that initial attentiveness that you first have when you have your firstborn child, that heightened sense of awareness and concern for their well-being, that begins to fade. But what if I were to tell you this morning that there is a father who operates very differently what if I were to tell you this morning that there is a heavenly father who has a very different approach with his children? You see, this morning, we're going to go on a journey through Scripture to look at a very simple passage to explore the way that God cares for his children. And if you want to see this for yourself, I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to Psalm 121 this morning. Psalm 121 is where we're going to be at. And as you're turning there, just uh, want to take a moment again to thank you all for allowing me to be here today. Uh, coming back to Emmanuel is an honor and a privilege. Uh, I grew up here. It feels like home. I want to especially thank Pastor Mark. Uh, he is uh, at my church today. I think he's probably somewhere in the middle of our third service. And uh, he is, I'm no doubt, bringing God's word faithfully and uh, passionately and um, just love that guy and appreciate his, his ministry, his care for me. And uh, you guys are blessed. 
you get to hear from Pastor Mark all the time, and you get to sit under his teaching and instruction. I know he does so much more than just the preaching teaching, but obviously that's one of the major benefits that you have to sit under his teaching, and so I just want you to know that you are very blessed. I have had the privilege of sitting under his teaching for many years. It helped shape me, my theology, my life, my ministry, and so I'm just um, so forever grateful for his... his uh, support for me and encouragement for me and mentorship in my life. But you're blessed, and you've got a great staff, your other pastoral uh, staff as well, the whole team here. I just hope that you have a posture, right? Sometimes, you know, church can be messy, but my hope is you have a posture with your your pastors and your leaders here where you're encouraging, uh, uplifting them, praying for them. I hope that that's your response, but yeah, you're blessed. Just want to let you know that. And also just want to throw this out there. Uh, I've been introduced as Pastor Joseph. If you grew up calling me Joey, just call me Joey. You don't have to like change my name, okay? So just just a heads up. So as I mentioned today, uh, we're going to be going through um, Psalm 121. I've chosen this because our church recently went through a series this summer, working through a number of the Psalms. And uh, one of the reasons that we chose to go through this series in the Psalms is I felt like it was a good summer series, but also I happened last spring to take a class at Southern Seminary on, it was an elective, on the book of Psalms. And so I thought, hey, if I'm already doing some work, why not work smarter, not harder, and use some of the stuff that I'm studying and, and use it for the series. And so that was the goal. And, and while I was taking this class last spring, I happened to have a paper I was supposed to write. Now, this was a pretty big paper for the class. It was really supposed to dis- distill much of what I learned through that course and to put it in an assignment. And so I wrote the paper, turned it in, and then when I got the paper back, there was a note, there was the first thing I saw with, with the grading that said from the, the professor who had graded it, he said, I did not follow exactly the specifications for the assignment as listed in the syllabus. And so because of that, he took off 30%, right? Not, not for other, just I didn't follow the exact instructions, 30% from that paper. That was probably the worst, whoops, worst grade I ever got. Oh boy, I almost fell. Worst grade I ever got at Southern on a paper, that, that 30%. Now, I tell you that story today because I want to just clarify something. If you thought this morning that I was coming here to bring my A game, I want you to know I'm here today to bring my C minus game, okay? Because that's the grade I got on that paper, all right? This is going to be a satisfactory ride, a little less than satisfactory ride through Psalm 121. I'm kidding. But, but uh, no, Psalm 121 is where we're at. I want to start by giving you some context. That's a true story, by the way. I did get a bad grade on the paper, but either way. Uh, Psalm 121, I want to give you context. So in the Psalms, one of the things that's helpful for us when we're trying to unpack the Psalms is there's a thing called the superscription. If you notice in your Bibles, there might be a, a heading that we added that says something like, you know, I lift my eyes to the hills or something like that. But there is a, a title that should say the song or a song of ascents. Uh, that's what's known as the superscription. Many of the Psalms have uh, a song or ha- have titles like this. Uh, that was either added when this Psalm was penned by the author, or perhaps it was also added when when this these books were compiled and arranged in the Psalter. Um, and uh, many people believe that they were arranged, and then there was uh, somebody who kind of added titles or an editor who, who brought them together. And so this particular Psalm says a song of ascents. Now, if you notice and you kind of thumb through your Bible, you'll notice Psalm 120 through Psalm 134. Those are the psalms in the Psalter that are described as songs of ascents. And we have to ask ourselves, what is a song of ascent? Well, most biblical scholars believed that these were songs that were chosen and compiled in a very special section to be used in Israel when the worshipers 
were ascending the Temple Mount, preparing to worship. These were the songs that they would have sung during that time. And so what we're doing this morning as we're unpacking Psalm 121 is we're specifically looking at a worship song of hope, of encouragement, and this psalm would have been sung by ancient Jews as they were traveling on the difficult uphill journey to worship the Lord in the temple. That's what we're reading today. So uh, it's important to, to know that as we unpack this, and we're going to see today through Psalm 121 something very important. We're going to see the way that God cares for his people. We're going to see the way that God cares for his children in this psalm today. And so I'm going to break this message down into three sections. It's a very simple psalm, very simple message. But the first thing we're going to see today, number one, is that the Lord provides. We have a God who provides for his children. Notice how the psalmist opens up in verse one. He says, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Now, pretty easy to see why this psalm would have been chosen to be one of the songs of ascents because it begins by talking about hills, if you notice here. Now, the word hill that's used in this passage in Hebrew, uh, it could also be translated as mountain. Now, we live in mid-Michigan, right? So, and in particular, we're in the Saginaw Valley right now. So, um, if you haven't noticed, no no mountains around us. If you head to Frankenmuth, where we live and where I serve, there are some rolling hills, which is pretty cool. Um, So, this could be a hill. But if you go to Israel and and you travel in particular to Jerusalem, you'll notice that there are uh, some mountains all over. It's a mountainous region. And uh, Israel and Jerusalem in particular has a mountain there. And so um, it's important to see that, that the psalmist, he is, he is looking to the mountains, which would suggest to us that he is where? Well, he's in a low place. If he's looking up to the mountains, he, he is in a low place in this psalm. He's in, in a valley of sorts. And we just sang earlier in, in one of those songs about being in the valley. The Psalms are filled with stories of people describing seasons in valleys. Psalm 23, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Valleys in the Bible are places uh, where we experience hardship, trial, challenge, suffering, difficulty, pain. When, When we're in the midst of a valley, life is incredibly hard. And perhaps this morning, there are some of you who came here today and you find yourself in one of those very seasons where you're in a valley. Maybe you came here and this morning you're going through some significant challenges with your spouse and things aren't going so well. Maybe there are struggles with the kids right now in your life. Or or maybe there's challenges at work. Maybe there's some financial burdens that you're going through. Many of us, we find ourselves at different seasons of life in a valley. But here, from this place, in the valley, the psalmist, he lifts his eyes to the hills that are around him, seeking for some sort of support and help and strength in order to carry him through the difficult journey ahead. And so where does the psalmist find his help? Well, notice verse 2 answers the question for us. He says, my help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. You see, the psalmist recognizes that God is the primary source of provision in times of need. The Lord, Yahweh, is the one who will help us navigate through the valleys that we have in life. He says, my help comes from Yahweh, from the Lord. And I like this reminder here 
of why God, why the Lord in particular, would be the greatest source of help and support and strength in our time of need. Notice how the psalmist explains why. He, he says, the Lord is the one who made heaven and earth. Now, I want to pause for a moment and just reflect on that. Who else would be more qualified to help us when we're in the seasons, when we're in a valley, when we're struggling? Who better to help us than the one who made heavens and the earth? There is nobody who's more qualified than the Lord. Nobody. Let me illustrate this. Just, just recently, uh, we had an iPad. It's not that old. And it was, it was acting up. It wasn't, I couldn't, we couldn't get it to turn on. And so... What I did, I'm, I'm pretty tech savvy for the most part. I'm familiar with Apple products. And so what I did was I tried all the typical things, you know, when it's kind of a bug or whatever, how to reset it and turn it on, turn it off. I tried these numerous things to get this iPad to work and nothing I did made it work, right? So one of the things that was interesting though is that as I was clicking buttons, I would hear little chirps or sounds as if there's something in there that's working, but nothing was showing up on the screen. I don't know if the dis display is broken or what. So I exhausted my ability to, to troubleshoot. And so what I did was I took the iPad into Best Buy. They've got the Geek Squad there, right? You're familiar with the Geek Squad? These are the super smart, nerdy, tech-savvy people who can fix things. That's what they call them, the Geek Squad. I took it into the Geek Squad. I went up to the counter, I showed them my iPad, and, uh, and they said, well, have you tried this, right? So they're starting to click the buttons. I was like, yeah, I tried that, you know? And then they're starting to do the, the reset thing. And I was like, well, I've you know, done that too, tried all that. And only about five minutes later, they're, you know, they're looking at it, they're trying to press buttons. They're like, well, we have no idea. That's what they say. I was like, okay, so what do I do? They said, well, your next step is either to drive to Lansing to the Apple store or you gotta ship it back to Apple. Because they said the only people who are probably gonna be able to really fix this iPad would be Apple. Why is that? Well, because Apple is the one who made the product. It's the manufacturer. It's the creator of the iPad. And so who better to fix the iPad than the one who made it? And beloved, who better to fix the brokenness in our life than the one who created us? Who better to fix the problems in life than the one who is the creator of all things of heaven and earth? He is the one who made you and me in his own image. We've been knit together from the mother, our mother's womb. God is the creator of all things, and we are his children if we are trusting in Jesus Christ. And so when we find ourselves in seasons where we're in the valley, who better to help us than the Lord, than the one who made us? I just want to challenge you. You know, sometimes we look to all sorts of things to solve our problems in creation. Why look toward creation to solve our problems when we can look to the creator one who made heaven and earth. He's our very present help in times of need. So as we begin this very simple psalm, the first thing we see is, number one, the Lord provides. That's who he is. He is the one who provides for his children. That's one. But two, as we continue, we're going to see the Lord is also one who preserves. He preserves his children. Notice how verse 3 begins. It says, He will not let your foot be moved. Now remember, this song would be sung as the Israelites would be ascending the Temple Mount preparing to worship the Lord. 
So they're making an ascent as they're singing this. If you've ever ascended a mountain, you might be familiar with what the psalmist is now referencing here. When I was in college, I had the chance, uh, the privilege, I moved to England for two years, and there were um, some friends that did a lot of mountain climbing and hiking. Right now in the UK, there's not a lot of really high peaks, but there's some decent sized ones in Scotland and stuff like that. So we went on these hiking trips and I had the privilege with these buddies of mine of climbing the highest mountain in every country in the UK. Pretty cool experience. And so as we were hiking and climbing some of these mountains, I was learning some techniques and a few things that were important. And one of the most important, like 101 with climbing anything, right? climbing a mountain or hiking up a mountain, 101 is you have to watch where your feet are. Right? If you're trying to ascend something and your feet are on unstable ground, right? if there's like a loose rock underneath you or whatever and you slip, if your foot moves as you're making an ascent, you're in trouble. Because when you fall, you're going to start to roll, right? You're going to start to tumble. That's what happens. It's dangerous. And here, though, the psalmist says that the Lord, he, as they're making the ascent, will not let your foot be moved. God is the one sustaining and preserving us in the difficult journey of life. He is like an attentive father who watches over his children to make sure each and every step is on secure ground. God is not like me, right? I've grown a little relaxed over time as a father. But God, he is always there, always attentive. Now, one of the reasons I've probably grown relaxed, I'll be honest with you today, and not that I don't care about my kids, I love all my kids, but being a dad is exhausting. It's tiring, right? I'm just kind of tired. Um, and to make matters worse, right, the, the kids grow, you know, growing up, none of them slept through the night well. I mean, really, like we had bad sleepers, great kids, bad sleepers. Some of you, you know, you'll, you'll share stories like, oh, my baby's been sleeping through the night ever since the beginning. Like when I hear that, I'm thankful, I'm, I'm glad for you, but I'm also a little bitter, I'll be honest. I'm a little salty when I hear that because I didn't get that. I've not slept in over a decade. And so um, you ever see the pictures where presidents, you know how they age when they go into office and then when they come out? Like I've aged like a president. I'm much more gray than I should be, okay? But either way, God is not like that. God doesn't grow weary. He doesn't get tired, right? His ability to be attentive to his children, it never fades, right? God never, never grows weary. Uh, notice how it says this, right? He's, he's, he's the one who keeps you, right? He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Notice what it says here. God's calf, because he has everything he needs to stay alert and attentive. Our God is the ever-living, never-sleeping, always-present Father to his children. That's who he is. His sustaining work in our life is inexhaustible. He's always refreshed, constantly invigorated, perpetually near to you and me in our greatest moments of need. Aren't you thankful for the watchful eye of your Heavenly Father? He's always watching over us. And before we move on, I just want to identify one thing that's just important in this psalm. Uh, notice how the psalmist reminds us that God will not let uh, our foot be moved. We're never told that God takes us and carries us up the mountain. He says, I'm not going to let your foot be moved. Which would suggest to us that we are making this ascent and we are putting forth effort to climb. And the Lord is always there helping us ascending. He's not carrying us up the mountain, right? God doesn't coddle his children, right? He's not uh, enabling laziness. He supports and sustains and preserves. And so I want to let you know, in the Christian life, there is an exchange, right? There's God's working and our working. Uh, the Christian life is not something that we're passive and our sanctification just kind of happens and we sit back and relax. It is both us acting and working and God's work in our life. 
That's why in Philippians chapter 2, it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Right? So it's our working and his working. That's part of the process of sanctification. We are taking steps toward this ascent, but the Lord is there at every point of the way. He is a loving, attentive father. He establishes our steps and will not let them be moved. That's what we see. And so in this psalm, very simply, number one, we see that the Lord provides. Number two, we see that the Lord preserves. And the third and final point is this. Number three, the Lord protects. He protects his children. And notice how the psalmist continues in verse five. He says, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Now, as we begin looking at this final section, I want to draw your attention to that phrase there where it says, the Lord is your keeper. The word keeper that's used here, this is a word that means defender or protector in Hebrew. Uh, Interestingly, if you were to, to read the beginning of your Bibles, When God is commissioning Adam for his work and for his ministry, his vocation, right? He he charges him to work and to keep the garden. Remember that? That word keep is the same word that's used here. It means defend or protect. So part of the responsibility that Adam had in the Garden of Eden was the Lord commissioned him to protect the borders of Eden, to not let any uh, enemy infiltrate that territory, And God commanded Adam to to hear his words and to rule over the animals. And what did Adam do instead? Instead of listening to the voice of the Lord and ruling over the animals, Adam listened to the voice of an animal and tried to rule over God. And so Adam failed at his vocation. But where Adam fails, God always succeeds. He is our faithful keeper and protector. In fact, notice how this is illustrated. It says, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. Now, I did a little bit of a, a deep dive into this passage because, you know, I wasn't quite sure exactly what they were trying to suggest here, but I, I learned that this is an idiomatic expression in Hebrew that would be kind of familiar to us. So, for example, if I were to talk to one of you and say, hey, you're my right-hand man, what would that mean? Well, that would mean that you're always there when I need you. Like, you've, you're, you're, you've got my back, you're supporting me. It's, it's very comparable here in Hebrew. The Lord is our shade on our right hand. The idea here is God is always there perpetually shading his children. He shields them from the harmful effects of the sun. He protects them from the scorching heat of the day. In fact, even in the dead of night, God is there providing his watchful care and protection for his children. That's why the psalmist says this, the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. God's always on duty. His care for us is 24-7. In fact, notice how the psalmist ends this psalm, picking up in verse 7. It says, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will, will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Again, we see the Lord's continual protection. It never ceases or diminishes. In fact, uh, this verse stood out to me. The Lord will keep you from all evil. Now, when I read this, I had to pause and think about this for a moment. In fact, I want us to pause and think about this together. By a show of hands this morning, how many people here have never, as a, if you're a Christian, have never had anything bad or difficult or evil happen to them? Okay, my church responded the same way. Let me ask it another way. How many people here, by a show of hands, have a perfect life? Kind of what I thought. My life isn't perfect. 
It's far from perfect. Sometimes my life is difficult. Sometimes I deal with bad things, hard things, challenging things. I certainly feel like I've dealt with my share, fair share of evil before. So what gives? Why is the psalmist saying this? It's just fake news? Just hyperbole? Why would the Lord say that he will keep us from all evil? Well, this is what it cannot mean. It cannot mean that nothing bad will ever happen to us because that is not consistent with the rest of Scripture. We know that difficulty does come our way. In fact, if you're a Christian today, you should expect difficulty. What did Jesus say to his disciples? In this world, you will have trouble. Not you might have trouble. You will. If Jesus experienced trouble and we are to follow Jesus... What makes us think that we're going, going to be exempt from hardship? No, we're, we're going to experience hardship. So what does this mean? I think it means, I think it means that God is always there in the midst of those seasons of hardship and struggle and challenge. He's always supporting, guiding, helping, sustaining, preserving, and that he doesn't abandon us when we're in the valley. In fact, no, I believe, actually, we have a God who just goes into the valley with us. What does Psalm 23 tell us? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Why? You're with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. That's an instrument of protection for the sheep. God goes into the valley with us. We don't have a God who leaves us in the valley. No, he's a loving, attentive father who's always watching over his children and caring for them. He's faithful. This is really what we see in this psalm. You know, I, I open by talking about the fact that, you know, I'm being honest with you, I'm, I'm not always the most attentive father. But the Lord, right, he's not like me. He's not like us. He's always attentive. He's always aware. He's always there. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, if you're a child of God this morning, no matter what you're presently facing, no matter what you're going through, the truth is, this is the big idea, the very simple message, and it's, it's this. God's care for you is unrelenting. That's where the psalmist is taking us. It's teaching us that God's care is unrelenting. He's an attentive father. However, this morning, I also know that some of you may say, hey, Joey, thanks for coming. Glad you're back. Thanks for bringing us this happy, feel-good message. But maybe you're thinking deep down, I don't really feel like this is true. In fact, maybe you're thinking right now, you know, my life is a mess. I'm overwhelmed. I'm exhausted. I don't know if I can make it through the week. You have no idea what I'm going through. Thanks for the happy message. Thanks for coming up here, encouraging us for a little while. But this doesn't feel true. I, mean, I, I want to, let's be honest this morning. Let me just challenge you guys for a moment. This is church. What happens at church? We all act like we have all our stuff together, don't we? I know the truth, right? You probably on your way here were screaming at the kids because they weren't putting on their socks, get in the car, right? And stress and anxiety and you're in the car and there's arguing and then you get to church and it's like, shh, okay, hey, let's act like everything's perfect, right? And then you come in, you're dressed nice, right? We, we like to pretend at church. Can we not pretend? Can we be honest for a moment? 
This is what the psalm is telling us, but it doesn't always feel like it's true. Maybe you don't feel like God is watching over you. So what do we do if it doesn't feel true? Well, if I can, I want to take one more moment to remind you of something. If you're doubting God's love today, if you're doubting God's care for you, his attentiveness, his concern, his compassion for you as a child, let me tell you a quick story. This story actually took place 2,000 years ago. God had a, a firstborn child, a son. It was his only begotten son. He was the apple of his father's eye. Every cry, every first step, every moment, every major moment of his life, God was there for his son, watching him, attending to him, caring for his beloved child. God was always there for his firstborn son. He loved him. But then one day, when his hour had finally come for this firstborn son to ascend a hill, wasn't the Temple Mount in the city of Jerusalem. No, it was a hill just outside the city. The father stepped back. And for the first and only time, his beloved firstborn son ascended that hill alone. That hill was called Golgotha. And instead of Jesus finding help from his father during his ascent, instead of him feeling God's presence and finding comfort, what did he do? He cried out and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, because Jesus died, because of God's great love for you and me in order to bring many sons to glory, God allowed the sinless son of God to die for us. The truth is, on the mountain that day, my sin and your sin was poured out upon Christ. He suffered, bled, and died on that hill in order to make atonement for us. This is the truth that we need to remember when we're doubting God's love and care for us. Because Jesus' feet were pierced, our feet will not be moved. Because Jesus endured the greatest of all evils, we can live with confidence knowing that the Lord will keep us from all evil. And because Jesus died on that hill, we can live with confidence in the midst of the valley because God is our constant source of strength and support. Christian, lift your eyes. Lift your eyes to the hills. Where does your help come from? Because of Christ. Your help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. This is so important for us to remember. If at any point in life you're doubting your father's love and care for you, you got to look at the cross. Scripture is clear. This is how God demonstrates his love, love toward us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we can be honest. We can be real. But we need to remember the truth. We need to look at the gospel and there, we can have the assurance of God's comfort, God's care, regardless of the valley that you find yourself in this morning. So let me just begin to land the plane by saying, Christian, you have an attentive father. My care as a father, it diminishes over time. 
God's care never diminishes for you. It is unrelenting. And I'm telling you, that is something that will never, ever, ever change. Let's pray. Lord, you're good. You are so good to us. We read in this very simple psalm that you care so deeply about us. And Lord, we know in your word, we know through the gospel that that care for us is expressed best by the fact that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, to die for us. And so, Lord, I want to pray for each and every person here. Lord, if there's anybody here today who doesn't know you, who hasn't placed their faith in your son, Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. Reveal to them your deep love. Father, that you would open blind eyes and reveal the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ. But Lord, for those of us who are united to you by faith in your son Jesus, who are feeling like right now we're in the midst of a valley and it is very difficult and it's very dark and it feels so lonely sometimes. Lord, I pray that you would remind us of the truth. Lord, I pray that we would replay the gospel in our mind and heart to know Father, that you truly do love us and care for us so very much that you sent your only son. So, Lord, we thank you. We appeal to you, our heavenly Father who's there, to use your word by the power of your spirit to shape us and conform us more into the image of Christ and help encourage us through this valley. So that way, Lord, as we continue to navigate through the difficulties of life, you can help lead us through. And so, Lord, we thank you. We love you. I thank you for this church. I thank you for their faithfulness to you and their faithfulness to the word and just how that's impacted and rippled out uh, in this region and really has um, made an impact around the globe. So, Lord, just thankful for Emmanuel, thankful for the people. And most importantly, Lord, I'm thankful for you and your son, Jesus. So it's in his name we pray all these things. Amen.